everybody it's meg it's Alyssa, and you're listening to real chills we're back yeah. yeah this week we have jillian markowitz on the podcast mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. definite friend of the pod and uh she's gonna talk about the time that she worked on a documentary about a paranormal location so cool i love it it's a great story mm-hmm. i have a question for you meg if you could do a documentary about a paranormal or like spooky location what would you pick you know i'm not sure do you do you have an answer for this do you already know yes i already know (laughs) i would pick one of the two lizzie borden houses that are currently up for sale (laughs) you would just buy i love it all right i already know mine it's the second one the one that you don't buy you don't whatever house i don't pick yeah Uh, we're gonna make this documentary (laughs) a series it could be competing yeah i didn't even know lizzie borden and had two houses um my understanding uh but i have not done deep google research is it's the house where her family was murdered and then the house that she lived out the rest of her life in they're both up for sale currently that is wild also i feel like the one where she just lived a normal life would be like so boring <laughs> like nothing happened anyway i'll take that one if you insist and you're doing the documentary first i'll i'll be part two the second version's usually worse anyway so yeah like greece yeah. too yeah, one of my favorite sequels. It's so exactly terrible. the same. <laughs> but speaking of paranormal documentary places, let's get into the story with Jill. Yeah, let's do it. You're listening to Real Chills. With Meg Getz and Alyssa Truskowski. Hey, everybody, welcome to Real Chills. We are so excited for our guest this week, our friend Jillian Markowitz. Hey, Jill, how's it going? You know, I'm doing my best. How are you? <laughs> I think we're, I mean, I can only speak for myself, but I'm doing okay. I'm hanging in there. How about you, Meg? I'm also here. (laughs) (laughs) No, I'm good. I'm great. I'm happy to be here. We're recording this after a very festive Saturday night into Sunday morning. (laughs) So we're all here. Um, Yeah. Jill, how, tell us a little bit about yourself for the audience. Just what are you known for? So. Don't let this turn you off, but I'm a ukulele comedian. <laughs> uh, I swear it's it's better than it sounds. Uh, well, maybe. And I, over quarantine, I've been doing costumes almost every day of the quarantine, just using stuff I have laying around based on people's requests. And uh, it gets pretty weird sometimes. <laughs> yeah, I love that recent popsicle one you did yeah that was great yeah I was beside myself because I work my ass off on these intense costumes that require me to completely recontour my entire face then somebody requests a rocket pop I throw a t-shirt on my head and the internet freaks out (laughs) it's because of the simplicity right like because if you're going through the feed and you're like wow 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 okay like strong move it's just so different like (laughs) it was delightful um our listeners if you've been following us this past halloween jill was actually our judge for one of our events where we did nailed it 
special effects makeup edition. So mm -hmm. if you haven't caught that, that video is available online. If you want to check out some um, scary makeup looks that Meg and I did and Jill got to judge us, which she's great at. <laughs> Definitely look that up because I was absolutely blown away by what you guys did. I still think about that. So I fun. still think about Meg putting gelatin on her <laughs> and a like an eyeball hanging from Alyssa's. I mean, I'm sorry, those are spoilers, but you know, no, I mean, they should have been there. So these are, just yeah, facts I mean, now. it's, it's January. So if you're getting <laughs> spoilers from October, well, I mean, if I, I'm just, thank you for listening. I don't know. <laughs> Nice. Um, we'll definitely have Jill's Instagram information plugged at the bottom for quarantine costumes. And um, at the end, we'll talk about it as well. But Jill, you are here to tell us uh, some spooky tales that you experienced. Yes, I'll, I'll do my best. <laughs> <laughs> We're here for it. So take it away. So I went to Syracuse in upstate New York. And um, there is this old, it's like, it's kind of like, like an abandoned park now, um, Split Rock Quarry. And it's considered one of the most haunted places in the country. It was featured on the travel channel on Destination Fear. And for my documentary class, I was in a little group and we decided that we were going to do our documentary on Split Rock Quarry we were going to find paranormal investigators and have them take us to the quarry at night and record. Mm. So a little background on Split Rock Quarry and what happened there. So it was a limestone processing company in the mid 1800s and then it was shut down until 1915 when it was reopened as a munitions plant to help the soldiers in World War One, And then in 1918, there was like a small fire, but it took, their, it took the water pressure. So they lost water pressure. So this fire got out of control extremely quickly. It's a munitions plant. Oh, so no. like 500 pounds of TNT just exploded, leveling every single building on the property, oh. except for the one rock crusher that's built into this limestone cliff. Wow. It killed 50, at least 50 people, injured 100, and most of the people who were identified were identified by, you know, a tattoo on the arm or like a ring on their finger. They were just unrecognizable. Ugh. And 15 of them could not be identified and were buried in a mass grave at Morningside Cemetery. Whoa. So since then, there have been all of these crazy reports, people seeing these blue, green, yellow orbs in the quarry. And they think that that's because the acid that they were using turned the workers' skin yellow. Ooh. And then... There are also reports of stuff like people hearing whispers, people getting like touched, and or people Ugh. will be, okay, so the actual, the only structure that's left, like I said, is 
the rock crusher that is built into the side of a limestone cliff. So it's, it's this huge structure and there are two arms of it. And inside each arm is a cave. And so there will be reports of people who are in the cave at the bottom of the structure and then they black out and find themselves on top Whoa. of the rock crusher, which you have to climb. I mean, it's treacherous. I couldn't even get up there. And so we went there, we went exploring during the day and we would see like teenagers drinking on top of the mm -hmm. rock crusher. And we asked them about it and they were like, yeah, you know, it's just an idea of something fun to do for a day, a place to come get drunk, hook up, whatever. And they would talk about like trying to climb up it and conquer it. And then in the actual arms of the crusher, they're just covered in graffiti and trash now. There's reports of cult activity going on there. Definitely like a fun high school hangout. <laughs> <laughs> so we meet these paranormal investigators, the only people I could track down. It was like this like adorable like family. It was like a mother and a son and I guess their family friend. I remember I had a huge crush on this one guy, <laughs> Bill, who I went back and watched the documentary and he has an earring and a chin strap. So <laughs> no accounting for my 20 year old taste. That was <laughs> cool at the time, I'm sure. I don't think so. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but I, yeah, we, we followed them in and it was like, it was so close to them that this was like where the boys used to come and hang out. So they knew everything about it. And Marianne, the mother, she was like the medium. And they took us down into the cave at night. I remember I was wearing a dress because I wanted to impress Bill <laughs> to like climb in a dank cave. <laughs> and uh, we had a few creepy experiences for sure. Like there was this one moment where the girl who was the executive producer on our project had said anyone who's here you can touch my hand or my head and at one point she freaked out because she very clearly felt a hand on her head oh. and i it's so embarrassing but at that point i was just deflecting with humor and i you can hear me on the recording be like I'm a little offended that the spirits don't find me attractive. <laughs> if there are any eligible bachelors, feel free to touch. And uh, that's really embarrassing. And I remember feeling very real feelings of rejection. Like, oh man, I've been like rejected by these <laughs> men. Haven't seen a woman in God knows how long. Can't even get touched by a ghost man. <laughs> also had a boyfriend at the time. Anyway, <laughs> so then we would hear these sounds on the recording, like a, like a sound, all the projects that I've ever done the entire time I was at Syracuse, I never heard a noise like that on the headphones. It was bananas. And there was also um, the EM, they had EMF detectors and Marianne would be like, I feel like there's something over there. And then the EMF detectors would just start going absolutely crazy. Oh. Mm. And I remember there was this one moment as we were leaving where Bill turned around and he was like, what's that? And we took a picture in that moment where he was like, what is that? 
And then we took a picture in the snap second after. So it's him in the exact same position in both pictures. And in one, there's just like a glowing orb in front of him. And in the other, it's completely normal. If you guys want the YouTube documentary, it's really bad, but you know, you can see the picture in it. Mm -hmm. We'll put it mm -hmm. in the show notes for sure. Yeah, there the audio is horrible, but you know, you can scroll to the end. Hmm. And then as we were leaving, I remember Marianne did this whole little like prayer to keep any ghosts or demonic presences from following us home. And then we went home. Wow. Nice. I don't know how to end a story. <laughs> no, I think that's amazing. That was really cool. I have so many questions. Yeah, that was awesome. That was so cool. Uh, first of all, I love that the kids <laughs> are hanging out in this dangerous ass quarry. Those are some bad kids. Like, <laughs> it just reminds me of like my high school. We used to go to this place called the 40s because it was like a cliff and you would jump 40 feet into like a lake. And it's just like, God damn, kids are stupid. So kids that was fun. Stupid. But the thing is that like, it's, it's a little town outside Syracuse, New York. Like, what else are they going to do? True. Yeah. Um, did you like, did, how did you feel while you were there? Like, did you feel like you, like there were, there was a presence? I was, I wanted to feel that, but I think that I wasn't, I think I was so wrapped up in my own social anxieties at the mm -hmm. time that I like couldn't be receptive because mm -hmm. everybody felt it, but me. And mm -hmm. I was, um, I was very wrapped up in like the ghosts don't think I'm hot. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Bill doesn't think I'm hot. Nobody here thinks I'm hot. Well, while everybody else is having these very meaningful experiences. Also, the more research I did about it, I mean, I was young, but I was definitely filled with sort of a, a sense. I know it doesn't sound like it from the jokes I was making, but I definitely had like a sense of reverence for mm -hmm. what these people had experienced. And I didn't want to be disrespectful because I like it really um hurt my heart to think that there might be these like tortured souls who did nothing wrong and just like their only crime was like dying horribly I just love the idea of college Jill being like I'm not even feeling sexual tension here <laughs> like, what's yeah, happening like this place is worth hilarious. nothing I mean, you guys know that that tracks so. <laughs> I looked up the picture of the quarry and to see the rock splitter that you're talking about, it's really interesting. I know it's like mm -hmm. serves a, a mechanical functional purpose. To me, it, it's kind of like, yeah, this is the like shitty American version of like <laughs> Tulum or something. <laughs> <laughs> I know that's mm -hmm. not what it is, but at first you're like, wow, this kind of does look like, you know, something ancient. And then you're like, well, it's really just, you know, something that's for workers. But it's really interesting looking. It's cool. It does look like something ancient, like a ruin. And it, I mean, it is a ruin. It's not an ancient ruin. Yeah. Oh, and I forgot to mention, I was, I watched some videos that other people took there and I, I we had really bad audio on ours because we made the mistake of using my personal camera, which didn't have a microphone. Um, and I don't know if this was doctored. It was on this woman's blog. You can hear very clear whispers at certain timestamps. And it's just as they're walking out of the quarry, it's just a very short video. You can hear things like a whisper, like it burns. 
oh no yeah like very 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 clearly that's so scary it creeped me out so bad I've been creeped out all morning (laughs) that's so sad that they're still burning I don't want to (laughs) think I know there was like this one story of a man um, that one of the ghost hunters told us who was like walking up the stairs at the time of the explosion and he got like swept up and he was on fire and he was like waving like like a human torch like a flag it was oh wow it was horrific I mean it really I mean the actual explosion itself shook the entire city of Syracuse and I mean it yeah it was like absolutely horrific and the fact that there are are still people missing? Yeah, wow. It's really, really disturbing and sad. Just out of curiosity, do you, ha, have you um, heard of any urban legends or anything like that around the mass grave at the Morningside Cemetery? I'm sure that I have, um, because all of the it's. I mean, it's said that the majority of the haunting, the actual haunting, takes place in the quarry, but I think Morningside Cemetery is like one of the oldest cemeteries in the country. So that's gotta be like Mm -hmm. haunted AF. Yeah. And I found the grave. I remember, I think I was with my boyfriend at the time who I was trying to cheat on with these ghosts. (laughs) (laughs) And we looked so, like we were looking for that grave for hours and hours. And I had a picture of it that I had found in this like little book from the library and it's huge and it took so long to find it and then like we finally found it and I just felt like really sad it was just like I thought it would be cool you know like you think that graveyards are cool and then I found it and I was just like this is sad there are just like fingers in here you know just like someone's finger and like you don't know who it is like it was just horrible real upper huh (laughs) (laughs) I love that any time there's a place where like something bad or historical uh, has happened and it's abandoned, everyone's like, well, now there's definitely cult activity. I'm like, yeah, that's so funny. Yeah. And it was like really messed up. The Travel Channel Destination Fear. I watched that episode because I wanted to see like what they say. And this I thought was so messed up. It was a girl, I didn't know this was what Destination Fear was. This girl like set up her friend who likes to be scared to go into a haunted place and they like set the whole place up in order to scare her. And like it Whoa. even looked Oh, it's a prank show? Yeah. So they <laughs> took her to this actual place where this actual horrible thing happened and just scared the crap out of her, which don't get me wrong, she deserved it. But like the place itself- <laughs> It, it that looks is like, weird. <laughs> it looks like they added shit. Like I think they added like a gate, and I think they added graffiti because there was graffiti that like, I mean maybe it just took place after, but there was graffiti that I certainly don't remember being there. <laughs> and he was making up stories about it. He was like, "Yeah, this red due to the cult activity is actual blood." She was Whoa. like, "Actual That's blood." That's pretty sus. Yeah. I'm gonna be honest. I know I would have been like, <laughs> you are full of shit. I'm like, name, name, which cult? Like, I'd I fall for it. I'd be like, cult blood, holy shit. <laughs> An average man is telling me something with confidence. It must be true. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
I think the question that everybody, myself and our listeners are burning to know is what grade did you get on this project? Yeah. Oh, we had the best project in the class. Nice. Really? That's great. Everyone else's projects sucked. <laughs> like, we had to show them all in this big group meeting that included another class that had an actual good teacher, but they were all the year below us and all of their projects were phenomenal. And every single documentary, it was like shit after shit after shit. And then ours was the only good one. And the teacher was just so grateful to us for doing something good. And it was like, yeah, (laughs) bite you, not because of you. You, you tried to thwart us from this being good at every turn. <laughs> you gave us no tools or resources. By the way, college is a scam. What's so funny, and I think about this every time I hear stories of you talking about college, Jill, is that we were almost at the same college in the same program because Syracuse Whoa. was like one of the schools that I wanted to go to, but I went to Pitt for communications and film because it was in state because you know I was across the border in Pennsylvania so I was like well if I can go to like Syracuse or I can go to Pitt like I'm gonna go to Pitt because it's in state like Mm -hmm. but I almost went to Syracuse that was like one of my like top schools I think you made the right choice because I I thought about this beforehand I was like if it comes up will I shit on my school yes I will I have no allegiance to them whatsoever it's just (laughs) it's been what like eight years and I have yet to get a job in my field. I've called that career services office five or six times and they just keep telling me to listen to their podcast. <laughs> on how to get a job. I'm busy listening to my comedy true crime podcasts. That was, that was me kissing your ass. I think the difference too, though, is like Syracuse had like the more of the film production where mine is like more of the film studies. Like we had some film production classes, but not in the way that you described yours. So I think it's interesting that you got to work as a group and do this documentary process. What were some of the other topics that you thought about that were not selected for this project? Well, I had wanted to do, so the this idea that we ended up going with was Athena, Athena's idea and she's wonderful. And I don't know what her job is now, but I know that it's fancy because she met mm-hmm. Ryan Gosling. and. Wow. Yeah. So she definitely had the, yeah, she had the better idea, but my idea was, um, there was this time when these Christian crusaders came to our school and like, they, they would always come with their signs saying like homosexuality is a sin and all that stuff. And one of the only times in college when I was ever truly happy was when I was part of this massive counter protest that just, (laughs) it it essentially ended up being like a pride event. It was amazing. And people were like handing out signs and Sharpies and we were all like decorating signs right next to these people who were so angry (laughs) and it was covered by the school paper. And it was just like, I, I had wanted to, Oh yeah, the guy's sign said sexual homosexuality is a sin. So someone came up with a sign that said those corduroys are a sin. <laughs> <laughs> nice. And it just Love started, it. it just snowballed. So that's what I had wanted to do it on initially. All good topics. Mm-hmm. Any other questions, Meg? No, you know, I'm like just I'm still processing like how catastrophic like this event was and like how 
the implications are still so heavy decades later. So I don't really have any questions. It's just interesting to think about how like trauma, like collective trauma kind of holds on to a place, whether it is like actual, you know, like a spirit or if it's just maybe like a negative energy from, from the trauma. It's just interesting. So it's not really a question. It's more just like, I feel like I'm like going down a rabbit hole in my own mind of like how insane that is to think about. Yeah. <laughs> you, know? you know what I would love to do is when the world is back for the three of us to like plan a little trip and like go up there and like explore for ourselves. That'd be really cool. Drink at the top of the thing. Absolutely. Yes. <laughs> I am drinking it. everywhere. I can. <laughs> Once we're back. I haven't had alcohol since like Christmas, I think. Good for you. Yeah, yeah, good it's for just you. like, I don't know. It's just one of those things. I'm just like, why? <laughs> I'm feeling that right now. It's like alcohol's the devil. You should never drink it. I've been finding that like I've like Meg, like you were talking about like trauma and like as I'm like trying to use this time to unravel my own because like I'm just alone with my thoughts a hundred percent of the time. What else am I gonna do? I find that alcohol can be an impediment for me sometimes. Like mm -hmm. if I'm using it to avoid feeling my feelings and not processing something then it, uh, yeah, it just kind of throws me off my game. Cause it's like, there aren't, there, there aren't very many ways that I can improve right now. So I'm just trying to dismantle as many trauma knots as I can. That's awesome. I love that. I know that's what your podcast is about. <laughs> <laughs> we can talk about this afterwards. Um, cause I, one of the things I've gotten into over quarantine is like learning about witchcraft practices and like Ooh. mental strength. But um, I'm really into like learning about how people do shadow work. So we can talk about that after the pod. Yes. Oh, shadow work. <laughs> That's my game, baby. Yeah. For our listeners who don't really know, like, I guess the best quick summary is like anything you feel shadowy about is like something you might need to process. It's not like working with shadow people or anything like that. It's more about like your dark side and like trying to like address it, confront it, and then like understand why. So you can like, you know. So it just doesn't like creep into your life. So Jill, your story was great. Thank you so much for sharing. Oh mm -hmm. yeah, of course. It was a crazy, crazy thing that I did that I wish were more climactic, but. Most of us, i.e. comedians, treat open mics as a necessary evil, but not Silas P. Every week, Silas talks to a veteran of the sights, sounds, and smells of the Philly open mic scene, sharing stories of momentary triumph and lingering failure with enough shit talk sprinkled in to make you listen to hear your name. I'm like 35% sure that I'm in there. So pay attention, hang out in the room, and maybe you'll learn why you got bumped on the launching pod. I'm gonna be completely honest with you. I just puked so much. Oh no! <laughs> I feel a lot better, by the way. I feel great right now. I should have done that this morning. Oh no! Should we start over? Yeah, we should go back. I'll just tell the story again. We'll go yeah. back. Yeah, I'm pretty sure you were just possessed by a demon, and that's just what happened. Yeah, it was the worker. He came over me because he's sexually attracted to me. Jill, sorry. Wow. <laughs> throw up all over. Um, yeah, Solid so choice. I'm so sorry to both of you. I 
thanks to our OCU <laughs> question. And that story is great, Jill. I'm I'm serious when I mean like I'm gonna think about it. I'm probably gonna think about it for a while. Just just how like catastrophic events. It's kind of like the tsunami ghost, Alyssa, in Japan. And this is something I want to talk about on the cast eventually. In Japan, there was this huge tsunami and like thousands of lives were lost. And they just see now the they're rebuilding the town and people are just seeing ghosts everywhere. That just breaks my heart though, because that tsunami like was so horrible and it was awful it started with like a 9.5 earthquake and then just like anyway yeah I I don't know that much about ghosts I mean like I listen to your podcast but I don't know I don't know how any of it works but I would love to believe that this is just like leftover energy from the intensity of the trauma and that people's souls actually do get to be at rest. That was sort of what they were saying on Unsolved Mysteries. There was like a guy who's like a doctor of like catastrophic events or something. He has a doctorate in it. And he was like, sometimes like people will see ghosts in a lot of places, but it's, they have so much trauma. Like everyone in that little Japanese city is like, has survivor's guilt, Mm -hmm. has lost people. So there's just so much energy from so many people, it's insane. Yeah, I, like things get very strange around death. Like I remember when I was um, in high school, a, like a really, like a dominant personality teacher died. Like, you know, like one of those teachers that's just like the heart and soul of like your whole day. Right. And she was my English teacher. And I remember that I went down to like her memorial garden to try to write a college essay. And I was like, I started writing it and I started writing this like really like sappy, not like sappy, like really just like wallowy. Like I was just like wallowing and angry just about mm-hmm. her dying. And I had a mechanical pencil, like the kind of mechanical pencil I'm hold- holding right now. And as I was writing it, the pencil like exploded, like the eraser and this inside part jumped out and the graphite jumped onto the ground. Wow. And then I wow. heard a voice. I heard a voice be like, it's supposed to be bittersweet, not bitter. <laughs> that <laughs> is a such a good story. story. Yeah. And then like I, I crossed that. it out. I crossed it out right away. And then Stream of Consciousness wrote the essay that got me into a college where I did not have good enough grades to get in. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> but, but I got in. Congrats, dude. That's awesome. I love that story. And then it ended, uh, as you know, with me telling all of you never to go to that college. (laughs) 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 Thanks, Miss Berm. No, I'm just (laughs) But I've I've thought about that a lot because there was just like so much just energy around after she passed away. And I just didn't know, was that her or was that me? Right. Yeah. But sometimes also doesn't matter. Do you know what I mean? Like, was yeah. that like you connecting into like this the energy of her like not the physical energy but into like that wavelength or that mind space or whatever like sometimes it's kind of like doesn't matter because you had a profound experience that you wouldn't be able to explain anyway so whether it was your mm-hmm. brain making it up and like syncing that together or whether it was something really like metaphysical or like truly paranormal other dimensional whatever like was it still required you to be there as a part of the connection you know what's insane? This is a perfect segue into my story. Ooh. So we should get into it. Okay. 
It, it actually is. So I'm talking about near-death experiences. So uh, it's kind yeah. of the same vibe, you know, like where science says it's probably brain chemicals, but people who have them are usually like, hell no. So let's get into it. <clears throat> According to a Bustle article titled 11 Things People Have Said After Coming Back from Near-Death Experiences by Lucia Peters, there have been quite a few people to have near-death experiences. experiences. Uh, even Hemingway has a story. So here's his story. Um, Ernest Hemingway had a near-death experience during the First World War. He referenced it in a letter he wrote to his family while he was convalescing in Milan from a shrapnel wound. Dated October 18th, 1918, the letter included this tidbit. Oh, is, so, so is that like World War I again? Yeah. World We've got War like I. a little World War I through line here. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I didn't even mean to, but we're, everything's connecting. Um, but yeah, World War I... Um, he wrote in the letter, all the heroes are dead. All the real heroes are the parents. Dying is a very simple thing. I've looked at death and really, I know. Later, he described to a friend exactly what he experienced. A big Austrian trench mortar bomb of the type that used to be called ash cans exploded in the darkness. I died then. I felt my soul or something coming right out of my body like you pull a silk handkerchief out of a pocket by one corner. It flew around and then came back and went again. And I wasn't dead anymore. Wow. Isn't that crazy? A silk handkerchief. Everything he writes is so beautiful. <laughs> Even <laughs> his near-death experiences. Like, so he said it felt like, yeah, like just like your soul just being pulled like a, a handkerchief and flying around, which is insane. Mine's probably full of snot. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, mine's all dirty. <laughs> mine's definitely a maxi pad. Just being <laughs> flying around <laughs> right dude i don't like how do you have a feeling like that and you don't just be that guy like he just went on to write books and stuff like i would just be the guy that talks about their near-death experience for the rest <laughs> of my life you know what i mean like good for him but that's i crazy. feel like i feel like you can't i feel like there's this kind of like you see it all the time with people who have like i feel like we all have like here have kind of like a spiritual side Mm -hmm. Like you can't really like indulge and live in that space too much and like live in the world with your feet on the ground. It's like you're in this constant right. hug of war. Mm -hmm. That's um, fair. Yeah. Like how can I, I can't like, except, I mean, well, people who believe in Jesus are pretty good about, they can integrate it into daily life, but mm. I definitely could not integrate my spiritual beliefs into daily life without sounding like an absolute crazy person. <laughs> right. Yeah. <laughs> Same. Yeah. Yeah. I know, I you like, just I'm... say that crystals are a decor item and that I think you're pretty good. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Actually, I'm carrying this black tourmaline ironically. I like just carrying all of the different things. So like, Alyssa, you gave me those little rocks and I put them in my purse. Do you remember? Um, but then mm -hmm. my mom I gave me the Jill like, too. Yeah, oh yeah. Them. And then my mom gave me this like little Catholic, like angel thing for oh, protection. Cute. So now my purse is just like collecting like little protective things <laughs> from like every religion. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, I'm so I have like a whole <laughs> bunch of crystals, like, most of them were gifts, but I kept them in like the jacket that I wore to every comedy show so I Aww. could handle being around comedians. Yeah. Oh, yeah. 
the same thing. The intention there is like nice. You feel like, you know, you can put your energy, you can focus your energy with those crystals. It's also just nice to have something to hold in your hand. Yeah. Yeah. Rose quartz feels good to hold. Yeah. Mm -hmm. For sure. Cool. And then there's another um, super cool occurrence from that same article. In 1943, Dr. George Ritchie died of pneumonia. Nine minutes after he died, he came back and he said what he experienced during those nine minutes was epic. He even wrote a book about it called Return from Tomorrow and My Life After Dying, an excerpt of which can be found here. He seems to have experienced everything from out-of-body experiences to meeting Jesus. The last thing he remembered was God, or maybe Jesus, it's a little unclear which, giving him a mental message. And the message was, it is left to humanity which direction they shall choose. I came to this planet to show you through the life I led how to love. Without our father, you can do nothing, neither could I. I showed you this. You have 45 years. When he returned to his body, he wrote, my throat was on fire and the weight of my chest was crushing me. I'm not sure what was meant by the you have 45 years because it wasn't about his time remaining on earth. He died 64 years after that near-death experience. So it's just so weird. It's because I'll get into it a a little bit after, but like a lot of the times doctors will say it has something to do with like DMT or like your brain chemicals, like when you're dying. But like the thought that you could have such profound, like you're capable of such profound visions and inside your own brain and you're just not doing it until you die. I just think that's so crazy. I don't know. Yeah. Can I just jump in with something? I've been taking this class from Atlas Obscura called uh, The Art of Death with the author um, Tessa uh, Tessa Fontaine. Um, I'm only in like the second class, but uh, one of the things that she talked about in the intro week was that the the medical definition of death is uh, not always the same and that it's changed over time. So the current definition is um, you're, you can be declared dead when you're brain dead. But previously, um, it was related to like the, um, the heart, like cardiopulmonary stuff. Right. So like, that's why um, like, oh, if you stop breathing, you were dead, but like your brain could still be alive, but you could be declared dead, mm-hmm. but then like people would come back. So it's just really interesting to think about that too, right? Like, there's different ways to start to expire where like your brain's still going, but maybe your body's not moving and what happens in that space. Yeah. It's so cool. It's crazy. Yeah. So what are near death experiences? According to an article titled are near death experiences, hallucinations, experts explain the science behind this puzzling phenomena. Near death experiences can be caused by many things. Also, I love how every article I find is two sentences long for the title. (laughs) really keeps us in our head in the game a near-death experience is a profound psychological event with mystical elements it usually happens to people close to death or during situations of intense physical or emotional pain but may also happen after heart attacks or traumatic brain injuries um some even can have these experiences during meditation and syncope which is loss of consciousness due to a fall in blood pressure They're actually surprisingly common with a third of people who have come close to death reporting having experienced one. I think that statistic is insane. One third of people who've like had near death experiences have these like crazy, like mystical visions, basically. Yeah. And I think about dreams and I know that my 
I, my old psychiatrist, um, the one who crossed all those boundaries story for another day, you can catch that on a different podcast, (laughs) Um, but he was a sleep doctor and he would talk about dreams a lot and how like he, we don't know, like we really don't quite understand what's going on when you dream, but people are so intense about their dreams. Like when you Mm -hmm. have a dream that you fully remember, you are so invested in that dream and nobody else cares at all, Mm -hmm. but you feel it so intensely and it means so much to you. I feel that's like why I always want to tell Dan all of my dreams and he like (laughs) does not care. Like he loves me. So he'll sit there and listen to them, but he's like, are you going to tell me your dreams again? And I'm like, yes, this one was crazy. And he's like, not every dream means something. And I'm like, but mine all do. So (laughs) let's get to the bottom of this Sherlock. And he's like, no, I don't want to talk about your dreams. I have very scary, vivid dreams, like nightmares, which I hear is something you have when you have sleep apnea so I need to work on that well Meg you know you know where I stand on this yes yeah you want. I've wanted you to get a sleep, to get study a sleep for, test <laughs> what like five years now <laughs> I need to start taking better care of myself but just I, I think also, we know <laughs> I also read I've been reading a lot about sleep tape like taping your mouth shut when you mm. sleep and they say that might help sleep apnea but get a sleep study first just in case it could uh kill you because I don't okay. know sleep study mine's inconclusive but they're pretty sure i have sleep apnea but i still haven't seen the sleep doctor so just because you get a sleep test doesn't mean you've taken care of yourself you're good (laughs) i know that you guys had josh matches on here and he told me that the first night that he slept with his cpap machine he woke up and for the first time in his entire life he felt what it would felt like to be rested that's oh God, that sounds amazing I know. <laughs> i'm gonna be really mad if i do that though and then i still wake up and i feel the same i'm just gonna be like yeah, <laughs> damn it. well One i thing- mean it w- we can't all be josh matches i know <laughs> if only if only just yeah. a sidebar not to like take this over because i don't know what's gonna stay in or stay out but jill you might find this interesting so ever since i started doing some like processing work for myself um mm-hmm. i've been going reverse chronologically in my dreams not every night but like every couple of weeks I'll have a dream that's like really important where I process some kind of like usually like a social not a trauma but like some kind of thing where I'm just like oh like I was never really friends with those people they were just in my social circle or whatever like thought that I have I've been going reverse chronologically (laughs) so like I'll have a dream it'll like be about something that was like significant and impacted me I'll wake up I'll do some processing through it and then I like feel good about it. And then a couple weeks later, I'll go to the next part in reverse time order, have a dream about something and like process through it. So I think I'm processing backwards towards childhood, I guess. That's Whoa. incredible. Dude, it's weird. I could fucking process my trauma in my sleep. It's multitasking, baby. Oh, that <laughs> is awesome. That is so Alyssa. You would overachieve that one. <laughs> <laughs> now that I've like said it out loud, like I'm sure, I mean, I told my therapist, but I like, I like don't want it to end. So, but I'm not expecting it to continue. But every time I'm very surprised. And usually it's things like this boy that I had a big crush on for a long time. We liked each other, but I moved away. Like I had a dream about him for the first time. I thought of him in like years and I was like, yeah, I feel good about that now. That's fine. Like, I don't <laughs> feel close. weird about this ninth grade love I had. 
Um, some common characteristics people report are feelings of contentment, psychic detachment from the body, rapid movement through a long dark tunnel, and entering a bright light. Uh, that, which, that all sounds kind of, I mean, except the dark tunnel one, that sounds pretty peaceful. Honestly, it's a good way to go. Um, there are plenty of non-paranormal theories as to why this occurs. Um, from that same article, some re researchers claim that endorphins released during stressful events may produce something like near-death experience, particularly by reducing pain and increasing pleasant sensations. Similarly, anesthetics such as ketamine can stimulate near-death experience characteristics such as out-of-body experiences. Other theories suggest near-death experiences arise from dimethyltryptamine, DMT, a psychedelic drug that occurs naturally in some plants. Rick Strassman, a professor of psych psychiatry, observed in a study from 1990 to 1995 that people had near-death and mystical experiences injection of uh, DMT. According to Strassman, the body has natural DMT released at birth and death. However, there is no conclusive evidence to support this view. Crazy. Um, I have a DMT story if anyone wants to. Do sure. You? Do, you, do you try DMT? No, I can't do hallucinogens uh, because I'm, people have been asking me if I was high since the fourth grade. I don't think <laughs> I did that. Oh, I love it. Okay. But um, my friend, she got an abortion when she was 16 and she really, really struggled with that choice and with the guilt. And um, she just wasn't okay. Like she was acting out and having all sorts of problems. And then when she was 20, she went and did DMT under the care of like a shaman, but I'm pretty sure that it was DMT and not ayahuasca. Mm -hmm. um, and she had a vision of, her baby boy as a four-year-old it was four years later and she said he was just the most beautiful Whoa. perfect child and he said it's okay mommy I'm okay you can forgive yourself oh wow that gave me chills that's crazy yeah and she's she's fine now she's like, better now yeah that wow. I mean because a lot of the time all we need is to forgive ourselves yeah yeah, I have like one more paragraph. <clears throat> so the article does go on to say, though, um, the most widespread explanation for near-death experiences is the dying brain hypothesis. This theory proposes that near-death experiences are hallucinations caused by activity in the brain as cells begin to die. As these occur during times of crisis, this would explain the story survivors recount. The problem with this theory, though, plausible, is it fails to explain the full range of features that may occur during near-death experiences, such as why people have out-of-body experiences. Currently, there's no <clears throat> definitive explanation for why near-death experiences happen, but ongoing research still strives to uncover the truth of this phenomenon. Whether paranormal or not, near-death experiences are extremely important. They provide meaning, hope, and purpose for many people, while offering an appreciation of the human desire to survive beyond death. So yeah, that's near-death experiences. Um, <clears throat> there's tons of theories out there, but nothing specific as to why they happen, basically. I love the idea, like so many times we hear about people have near-death experiences and they come back, like whether it's like a true near-death experience, like something traumatic happens or they're like, wow, I like beat cancer or wow, like, um, you know, I like really changed my life and turned things around. Uh, mm -hmm. I love the idea of somebody having like a real like sudden physical near-death experience and then being like 
nah, I'm good. I'm just going to keep it going the same. Yeah. No change. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) But it happens all the time. Like you see people have experiences that should change them or rock the way that they think. And then it's like, it's almost like they can't process that. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And so they just, they can't integrate it into their life because you don't just change with the flip of a switch. It's still work. Yeah. 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 And as like those events build, if they're not processing the trauma that comes with each of those like milestones in their life, it just becomes a lot. Like it becomes a lot more work if you don't handle it right away. And also like, sometimes you're just not ready. Like Mm -hmm. when I had that experience where my pencil exploded and like, I like heard my teacher's voice. I was not like, Oh, I believe. And I would like talk about this experience as just like, you know what happened? That was like the funniest coincidence (laughs) is uh, something that was obviously magic. (laughs) (laughs) It was just magic. But what I, what I hate about hearing like studies like that is that it's like there, we used to have this, I mean, science and spirituality used to be like inextricably linked. Like the theologians were the naturalists. Mm -hmm. And then at some point there was this like breakaway where now it's like spirituality and science are opposed and there's this unnecessary dichotomy. And I think that like, and I think that if we were looking, all of this spiritual stuff could be explained scientifically Mm -hmm. but in a way that could also validate spiritual beliefs Mm -hmm. and it's like it I don't know it just pisses me off I just feel like it's preventing us from actually figuring out what's going on in a holistic way I think one of the challenges though is right like the in addition to just like spirituality in general and science being hard to reconcile for many people is that especially in the U.S., there's definitely like a dominant idea of monotheism or like just different Mm -hmm. things that prevent us like socially from being able to even have those conversations. So like in order for science to not have to sign up to like specific flavors or camps of like spirituality, their like objective science, it quote unquote, like is a way for it to be able to be pursued without having to, you know, pick a religion or spiritual practice that it's like tied to. But I love all of the studies like related to like when people pray or they meditate, like where it activates the brain. Mm -hmm. So I think we will see more of that. Like, it seems like it's a pendulum that kind of ebbs and flows. Yeah. I just, my, I guess the heart of my belief is that like, like you said, like we can, if we just stop being attached to, oh, like this means Christianity is real and whatever, we could actually just take a full view without labels of what is happening. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, but instead we kind of like zoom in. It's like, it's like when you go to the doctor and like they send you to one specialist and that specialist sends you to another specialist and that specialist sends you to another specialist and no one can figure out what's wrong because no one's looked at the whole body. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. Mm-hmm. I, I might sound like analogy. a crazy person. But no, thank you don't you. sound crazy. Well, that was so fun. Does anyone have any final near-death experience talk before we play a game? 
as much as I want to have like a near-death experience and I want to see a ghost and I want to meet an alien, like all of those things are things where I'm like, my life is probably better having never experienced those things directly, but yeah. I'm still open to it, I guess. For sure. Yeah. Um, I just am lonely and <laughs> want everyone to leave the Zoom. <laughs> I'm stalling. I've made up everything that I've said for the last half an hour. I'm just trying to keep everyone here. I think we have All a right, game. Let's, yeah, let's do a game. So I figured we could play Hot Mary Kill today. I Hell think it's yeah. Fun. I love Hot Mary Kill. Hot so Mary it, Kill. It's exactly what you think it is. Um, so all we need to do, each of us needs to pick three people for our version. Um, like famous people? It could be anybody. It can be a callback to anyone in the story. It can be people, just for context, this is going to come out in like mid-February around Valentine's Day. No, I'm not thinking of anything topical. Okay. And I'm glad this is coming out around Valentine's Day because odds are I'll be depressed on that day. (laughs) (laughs) Speaking of which, if there are any eligible ghost bachelors. Ghost bachelors. It's the only person that I'm allowed to watch. Well, I mean, who else can you date during quarantine? <laughs> okay, let's play Haunt Mary Kale. Um, I'll go first, if that's okay. Yeah. And then um, we'll just go around. So my three people for Haunt Mary Kale are Ernest Hemingway, Bill, or Dr. Ritchie. And Bill is the guy in Jill Story. <laughs> the hot one with the chin strap. Hot Bill with chin strap, yeah. Who's Dr. Wait, who Ritchie? Was Dr. Ritchie? He's the one who had the near-death experience for nine minutes and then wrote a book uh, about it and, like, became obsessed with it. That's easy for me. Go ahead, Joe. Okay, let's hear it. Kill Ernest Hemingway because <laughs> he was such an asshole. <laughs> he was? I didn't know that. He was an asshole? I'm pretty sure. I'm pretty sure they all were, like, drinkers and beat their wives, but I might mm. be making that up. Mm-hmm. But, like, the alternative would have been to marry him, and I just don't think he would have been good. <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, so, Killer is Hemingway. Uh, I think I would actually marry Dr. Richie because we could talk about, like, our spiritual beliefs. And then uh-huh. I would want Bill because he has the resources to find out what I want. Like, so after death, oh. if I talk to him, he can communicate back to me. Nice, Love nice, it. nice. Mine were um, similar but different. I would kill Hemingway because why not be famous, like go down as an infamous person? Um, I guess I'd marry Bill because it sounds like we're close in age. His mom sounds cool. Like, that's good with me. That was the other one's mom. Bill's just their friend. Oh, I mean, he has cool friends, so that's great. And then Dr. Richie, I would haunt him because I'd be like, Yo, you want to talk about the afterlife? I'm here. <laughs> um, sorry, I was I was just looking up whether Ernest Hemingway was an asshole because <laughs> I know his granddaughter is like an actress and she's cool and she's been on a podcast I like and I don't want oh, her really? to not like me. <laughs> this says he could be a real passive aggressive <clears throat> asshole, which I mean People could say that about me, too. So now I feel bad. (laughs) Uh, I think I would haunt Hemingway um, because he's cool. I don't know. I just I think it'd be fun to see like what a day in his life is like. Um, I think I would marry Bill 
because I love a, a good chin strap. <laughs> and then I would unfortunately uh, kill Dr. Richie. Sorry, RIP. Out of just process of elimination, no ill will towards Dr. Richie. And, you know, he doesn't believe death's going to be that bad, so it's not like Yeah, that. he yeah. seems pretty okay with it. With Hemingway, sure. I don't feel bad. I'd pluck that silk handkerchief right out. Yeah. Jill, do you want to go next and tell us your picks? Yeah, I picked Nicholas Cage, Meg Ryan, and my cat. <laughs> Choose carefully. Well, okay. I think I know. Um, I would haunt Scrappy. I think that's the only right, because I'm not <laughs> marrying or killing Scrappy. <laughs> <laughs> so I would haunt Scrappy. I would marry Meg Ryan and I would kill Nicholas Cage. <laughs> I'm really torn because I want to marry Meg Ryan. Here's my problem. I want to haunt Nicholas Cage. That dude loves creepy things. He's exactly the right person yeah. to haunt. He does weird stuff. It's great. Mm-hmm. Meg Ryan is a catch. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Your cat Scrappy is wonderful. Also, Jill, I love you, but I don't... I know you would be very mad at me if I killed your cat. So I Mm -hmm. just feel like in solidarity with our friendship, I'm going to marry your cat. Then we have to be related, (laughs) even though Meg Ryan is a catch. And so by process of elimination, I'm going to have to kill Meg Ryan. All right. Wow. Yeah. I love you too much, Jill, to hurt you. So that is uh, going to cry. That's (laughs) really moving yeah but you're gonna be mad when scrappy and i kick you out of our house so <laughs> oh no that's, that's okay i respect her space <laughs> actually i don't know if you guys saw this but i have a sobriety clock in my phone for how many days i can go without holding her against her will oh <laughs> that's really cute what are your picks jill oh of those three? Oh, i i didn't know i had to do it that's yep. okay Okay, well, I'm just gonna marry my cat. You're gonna have to fight me for her. (laughs) (laughs) No, 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 we'll do a three way thing. I'm into that. That's fine. (laughs) Sister wives, I love it. I'll, so I'll marry my cat. I will, whew, I don't know what Meg Ryan and Nicolas Cage are like as people. I'm very skeptical of anyone who rose to fame in the 80s. Nicolas Cage like is broke now and bought that crazy haunted house in New Orleans because he's a weird like he's a big haunted house weirdo lover. Big fan. Oh, oh, so I'll kill him so that he can join his friends in the house. (laughs) Practical. Haunt Meg. (laughs) <laughs> find out some of those skincare secrets that i won't need anymore <laughs> <laughs> you've got ghosts like. <laughs> i love it okay uh this goes with uh this is not so much a specific person so much of a as a type of person all right so you're gonna haunt marry or kill a plant person a person who collects world war one memorabilia or a person who collects dolls Oh, I think I know. Can I go? Yeah, mm-hmm. sure. I would kill the doll person because, <laughs> ew, like easy. Even if there were more choices, it's always kill the doll person. <laughs> and then I would haunt the world war, the, the war memorabilia person because they probably are assuming their stuff is haunted anyway. And I think it'd be really funny for them to think I'm like some 
like colonial person. <laughs> and then we just be like, oh, that's an iPhone. They're like, oh, you must have been paying attention. It's like, no, I died like two days ago. So <laughs> sorry. And then obviously you got to marry a plant person because they're good at keeping stuff alive. And I'm very bad at keeping myself alive. So if I could just have any support, that would be great. So I definitely agree with marrying a plant person because I, Mm -hmm. you know, I feel like we might be on the verge of an apocalypse. And if that happens, I need someone else in my lifeboat who can do that. Like, I'll be the razzle dazzle. I'll be the entertainer. And you can keep us alive. Keep us alive. (laughs) You be the farmer. Exactly. I will just farm a joy. (laughs) And, and then, um, I guess I will haunt the doll person because I feel like then I could choose a doll for my soul to be in. And then Mm. I can like, cause the most important thing, obviously when you're dead is to be hot still. (laughs) Obviously. So I would choose like a hot doll (laughs) to possess. And then I would, um, Oh, got to kill World War One guy. That's so sad. But I would do it in a way that he thought would be cool, like with one of his own weapons or something. <laughs> nice. Good touch. Nice. Mine are the same as Jill's, but I have slightly different reasons. Like I would just kill the World War One memorabilia person out of process of elimination. Like, I don't know. If you're into that, you're either like probably super old or you act like you're super old. So maybe it's your time. Sure. That's my thought. Um, I would marry the plant person as a fellow plant person. I would like somebody else to take care of them for a while so we could like (laughs) trade off the responsibility. And I would also haunt the doll person. But what I would do is I would haunt the doll person, driving them to get rid of all of their dolls and then be like, nope, still here. (laughs) 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 Tricked. Yep. I think Megan and I would just troll people as ghosts. I think that's kind of our lot in life. That's what we've learned. Yeah. I definitely wouldn't. I would be like desperately searching for a connection. I would be like, I was lonely in life. Please don't make me be lonely in death. Talk to me. (laughs) And I would scare the crap out of them all the time. I would come on way too strong. It would be exactly like my relationship. (laughs) I don't know. I'm kind of scared of her. She's going on really strong. Um, I'm like trying to blow them a kiss and he's like I feel a cold chill it's the fucking demon (laughs) why does this doll keep appearing in lingerie in different parts of the house (laughs) do you guys want to hear one thing about World War One though yeah sure so I was on weeding out the stoned and when I'm on that show, like I can't smoke because I get really paranoid. So I just have other people like breathe into my mouth. But I pre-COVID, I obviously. Yeah. Pre-COVID, yeah, that's that's not happening anymore. And then I got somehow really, really, really high from that. And my if you guys don't know, Weeding Out the Stoned is a sobriety show where 16 comedians get high backstage and one is sober and then they're given sobriety tests and the audience figures out who's stoned and who's the narc. And my prompt was in 30 seconds, explain World War One. <laughs> and I started hysterically laughing. And then I said, someone got shot on my birthday. Oh, wow. <laughs> and then I laughed 10 more seconds and said, a different year. <laughs> That's a perfect description. 
That yeah. is it. Yeah. That was a bad story. And I'm sorry I told it. Danny no, can I edit love it. it. Out. No, I love it. <laughs> um, Jill, tell people where our listeners can find you. Um, you can find me at quarantween underscore costumes. That's quarantween, like a mixture of quarantine and Halloween. I don't know why I did that. It was stupid. Uh, <laughs> quarantween underscore costumes on Instagram and on my Twitter, which I'm literally just typing into the void. I don't think anyone's ever liked one of my tweets. since <laughs> uh, Cyberchondria 28. Nice. Oh, oh yeah. and my uh this is embarrassing but i do zoom improv now so you can catch my improv group short jorts on the uh first Ooh. friday of every month hell yeah Fun. meg where can people find you yep you can find me on instagram and twitter it's the same handle at meg gets money gets spelled g-o-e-t-z nice and i'm at Alyssa trez on all the things so yeah. thanks so much everybody we'll talk to you soon yeah. joe Thanks, Jill. Thanks Bye. for having me. Real Chills is produced by Meg Getz and Alyssa Jaskowski. The show is edited by Dan Getz, theme music by Sam Williamson, and artwork by Buffy the Design Slayer. Subscribe where you get podcasts and follow us on Instagram and TikTok at Real Chills Podcast. Slide into those DMs with your true scary stories. Real Chills Podcast is a member of the Wasted Robot Network. This has been a presentation of the Wasted Robot Network. For more information on this and other podcasts, visit us on Facebook and Instagram at Wasted Robot Records.